The scripture reading today comes from Galatians 6, 6 to 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning and lift you high. We thank you that we can gather this morning because of your grace and mercy towards us. And we ask, Lord, that your grace and mercy would continue towards us now as we sit under your word, as we seek to hear from you, indeed as we seek to be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jake, and I'm part of the team here. It, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. As Dave said, uh, yeah, we gather in the afternoons with Christ at East Vancouver. I said goodbye a few weeks ago, and I'm back already. So go figure. Um, we're finishing up this week and next week our time in, in Galatians. And I just want to say, before we get too far into it, uh, yesterday we had our men's breakfast, and we had like pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds of bacon. Uh, and I thought it only fitting that we talk about freedom in the gospel and then eat all this pork and all this bacon at, towards like the end of this series. Uh, because of the cross of Jesus, we could gorge on bacon yesterday. Uh, and so uh, it was a great time. So thanks to all those men who came out. I was really encouraged. I know many of you were as well. Well, over the past couple of weeks in chapters 5 and 6, Paul has been fleshing out what this new spirit-led community looks like. What does the church look like? What are we to do? And the objection he's been tackling in these two chapters has been something to the likes of, well, why should I do anything at all? Why should I do anything at all? If not the law, what motivation exists for my obedience? And maybe you noticed it, uh, but these past few weeks, Paul has snuck this little phrase in the text last week and the text this week. He's encouraged the Galatians not to be self-deceived. Don't be self-deceived. Self-deception is another sermon, but I won't go into it. But, but he's saying to them, don't be self-deceived into thinking specifically that Jesus plus nothing equals everything means me plus doing nothing equals everything. And he's guarding them against this, this sort of laziness or, or, or this thinking that means I don't have to do anything now. I can just sort of chill out, sit on my hands. And while last week Paul encouraged the Galatian church uh, to bear one another's burdens in view of the law of Christ, uh, this week, he'll encourage the Galatians to sow and reap in view of the God who cannot be fooled or mocked, who indeed will one day lay all hearts bare. Today, really simply, is about sowing and reaping. Now, I want to go very basic here. Uh, if you grew up in the suburbs like me and you thought uh, uh, vegetables came from the grocery store, uh, let me just teach you something. Uh, they don't. Uh, they come from a field, and the, the, the seed is planted or sown. And at some point, when the seed grows to maturation, uh, it is harvested. Uh, this is reaping. Again, this is new to me, and I'm just helping you out as well, too. Uh, this is sowing and, and reaping. Uh, the basic principle here, speaking very generally, if we can for a second, is that you get uh, out what you put in. You get out what you put in. 
And so if you're an athlete uh, here this morning, you understand this concept. If you work really hard in the off-season, during the season, you will reap the benefits of that. Uh, if you're a student, if you work really hard in studying for an exam, during the exam, you will reap the benefits uh, of that. That's the basic principle at play here this morning. And, and generally speaking like this, uh, you don't actually have to be a Christian to ascribe to this principle, do you? Right? In fact, almost every uh, major religion, almost every spiritual movement in the world has some variation of sowing and reaping. Some variation of sowing and reaping. Uh, Maybe you're more of a a New Age sort of spiritualist uh, here this morning, and you heard the text read, and you thought to yourself immediately, oh, like this is karma. That's what this is. This is is karma. You you put positive uh, energy Positive thoughts, uh, positive actions into the universe, and you get positivity back. Uh, you put negativity into the universe, and you get uh, negativity back. I understand this, this, is, this is karma. Or, or maybe uh, you hear the passage read uh, this morning, and you think in more of a utilitarian sort of uh, lens of life. And what I mean by that is, uh, you're not sure about karma, you're not sure about spiritual things, but you just know that that works. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, and this will let you in on how... Clueless I can be at times, often. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, and I remember the moment, the exact moment where I had this epiphany that if I was nice to people, like people would be nice to me, like generally. And again, you're like, oh, this is pretty basic, but I was like, my mind was being blown. Like, Why is that being a jerk to me? Oh, because you're a jerk. Oh. And I remember when I had this epiphany, so I started being nice to people, this was before I was a Christian, because people would be nice to me in return. I had no spiritual reference point here. It just worked. And maybe you're here this morning and you have that sort of uh, vantage point on the text. Or, or maybe, maybe, and this is probably a, a lesser number of you, but maybe you grew up in a stream of Christianity uh, that taught something to the effect, listen, later the offering basket will come around and you will put your seed in that offering basket, which is also your money. And if you put your money in that offering basket, you can guarantee, you can count on it, that later God will give you a harvest of more money. So just put your seed in and harvest some more money later. We come to the text this morning, all that to say, with a whole host of presuppositions, a whole host of of preformed ideas as to what sowing and reaping means and what it looks like. So what I want to do, if we can, uh, is a bit of work this morning. We're going to start by unpacking what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 6 when it comes to sowing and reaping. What is sowing and reaping biblically? Can we do that first? And then after that, we'll look at three fields. Three fields where sowing and reaping takes place. The field of the church, the field of our own lives, uh, and the field of the broader world or the broader community. So first, how are we, you and I, follower of Jesus, How are we to understand the principle of sowing and reaping in Galatians 6? In other words, how does the biblical understanding differ from the world's understanding of sowing and reaping? What are are some points of distinction? I'm glad you asked that question. I have four points of distinction for you. The first is this. While it is true that Paul is now saying, you reap what you sow, it is also true that the rest of Galatians could be summarized Uh, You reap what you did not sow. Isn't that also true? The the whole point, the whole point of Galatians up until this this, this point, Galatians 6, has been, listen, like you are justified by faith, not by your works, 
not by your good actions, not by your good thoughts. You are justified by faith. Paul's been arguing that. We've seen that. We've had 20 plus weeks of that. What we deserve to reap then, according to Galatians 3, in our sin is what? Is the curse. Is death. But that's not what's happened. The gospel of grace is that Jesus takes what we deserve and we in turn get what he deserves. He takes our sin, our garbage, our stuff, our shame, and in turn we get his righteousness, his obedience, his perfect life. Paul wrote in Galatians 3.13 about this exchange. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse on our behalf, in our place, for us. You and I have sown sin, and yet in Jesus, in his grace and mercy, we have reaped salvation. And so if we're to take reaping and sowing in Galatians 6 and pluck it out of context and say, listen, you get what you deserve, we lose the gospel. We lose grace. We lose the gospel and we lose unmerited and lavish love poured out on us even while we were still sinners. And what's left, what remains, is a ruthless works-based system where we desperately, and we saw this last week, didn't we? Where we desperately try to either pull another person down or to pull ourselves up. And if you don't believe me, just go on the internet. Go on the YouTube comments. Go on any social media platform. Go on Twitter. And you'll see this all the time everyone trying to either pull themselves up or pull someone else down. It's this ruthless works-based system. So Paul's reaping and sowing should not be interpreted, I sow good works and so I reap salvation or I reap justification. That would be an incorrect interpretation of this passage in view of Galatians 6. Rather, it should be interpreted as a warning to us. As a warning to us. A shot across the bow, if you will. Paul's intending that the Galatians and us this morning would stand up straight. Would soberly consider what we are sowing in our lives. Are we sowing to the flesh or are we sowing to the spirit? And we'll see what that means in a bit. But it's a warning to us. It's meant to challenge us. It's not exciting, it's not lovely, but it's needed. The second thing we should note as we seek to distinguish biblical reaping and sowing from, from karma in particular is that God does not deal with us impersonally as karma does. Think about this. Notice what basis Paul gives for sowing and reaping here in Galatians 6. Paul says, It is true that we reap what we sow. Why? Because God will not be mocked. Because God will not be mocked. The language is is intensely personal. It it is not, uh, and the universe will not be mocked, or some impersonal force will not be mocked. He says, the personal God of the universe who is intimately involved in dealing faithfully with his creation, he, he will not be mocked. He won't be fooled. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. If we're not careful, we can think of the world as deists. Deists believe uh, that God is the cosmic uh, clockmaker. He set the world in motion and is now removed from his creation. 
Things happen, things occur all outside of him and not because of him. And yet we read in the Bible, we read in Hebrews 1 what? That the Lord sustains and upholds the universe by the very word of his power. And we read elsewhere in, in scripture that it's God who personally and intimately deals with his creation. Psalm 103 verse 6 says this, It's the Lord who personally works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, like God, God himself personally sends rain on the just and the unjust. It is God himself who, who, who does this personally. It's not karma. It's not the universe. It's not something impersonal. But the personal hand of the personal God who deals personally with his creation. Third thing is this. Not only should we avoid the mistake of the deist, we should also avoid making the mistake of the ancient Greeks. Now, uh, when Paul would bring up uh, sowing and reaping with his audience, uh, his Greek listeners wouldn't be surprised by this. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, I I, I track with you, I follow. In the Greek pantheon of of gods, uh, there was a goddess, a nemesis, and there's no relation to the hipster coffee shop downtown. Uh, but Nemesis was the goddess of retribution. So if you did something wrong, like Nemesis is coming after you. Like she's coming for you and you needed to appease Nemesis in order to avoid retribution coming on you and your household and, and everybody else that you love. Uh, c- conversely, uh, there were gods that you had, you had to appease for blessing. The god of the harvest, the god of the hunt, uh, the god of fertility. These were all gods to be appeased, gods to be bought, gods to make sure they didn't come and, and, and harm you. And I don't think that's all that different than the prosperity gospel. Sow a seed, your seed that looks like a hundred dollar bill, put it in this basket and trust, trust. You scratch God's back, he'll scratch your back. You did this for God, he'll do this for you. Needy, small, impotent, loser God. Isn't that true? What sort of dumb God is that? Who needs us to do something for him in order for him to do something for us? That is not the gospel. That is a God that can be bought. That is a God who is small. Fourth thing. Sowing and reaping in Galatians 6 looks primarily at the harvest to come at the end of the age when Jesus returns. Sowing and reaping biblically has a big view of history. This age and the age to come. You'll notice in verse 8 and 9, Paul says this. Read this with me. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The word for, for corruption there is perhaps better translated destruction. And and its pair is eternal life. And so here here are the two pairs. Eternal destruction and eternal life. And Paul says in verse 9, For in due season. What's that due season? It's the return of Jesus. It's the new heaven and the new earth. At the return of Jesus, Paul's saying, We will either reap unto uh, eternal life or eternal destruction. Either entrance into the kingdom or denial from the kingdom. Now, if you don't believe in an afterlife, if you don't believe in an age to come, it makes sense that you want to believe in a karmic system that, it, that emphasizes, indeed, is based upon here and now benefits, right? That, that makes sense. 
Uh, there are, to be clear, and we'll, we'll get at this, uh, here and now benefits to, to following Jesus. But the Christian has a God's eye view of things. Looking not only to the rewards of this life, but also, I think what Paul's getting at here, are the rewards in the life to come. It was what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Treasures in heaven. One scholar said about these treasures, uh, The treasures in the new heaven and the new earth are wonderful beyond our wildest expectation. Wonderful beyond our wildest expectation. Such treasures cannot be assailed by corrosion or theft. For whatever reason, and I don't want to speculate, but I probably will in just a bit here. For whatever reason, uh, we are uncomfortable as Christians sometimes being motivated by rewards in the the life to come. Sounds kind of strange to us, doesn't it? And yet, if we're to read through the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, John, the author of Hebrews all thought it perfectly appropriate to motivate Christians in this life by pointing them to the rewards to come, by pointing them to heavenly treasures. All thought it perfectly appropriate. Four reasons. Four reasons why biblical sowing and reaping is different than our, our cultural notion. Now, it's worth saying at, these, at, at this point, for all the ways that biblical sowing and reaping is different, there is a point of, of overlap here. There is a point in which biblical sowing and reaping is actually quite similar to how we would understand it culturally, more broadly. Let me explain. Again, consider that what Paul is writing here in Galatians 6 wouldn't be entirely new news to his listeners. And if they were familiar with the Old Testament, uh, perhaps they would have thought of passages like Job 4. Job 4, 8 and 9 says this, As I have seen... Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. Or or maybe they would have thought of passages like Proverbs 22. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. See, the Greeks had their own version of what goes around, comes around. The Jews had their own version of what goes around, comes around. We have our own version of what goes around, comes around. So so what's going on here? What's happening here? I think what we see throughout the scriptures, and indeed in our life, is that God's created order reflects his character. That the truth of God is woven into the very fabric of the universe. So that all people, all people, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not this morning, all people can recognize that something is true. Namely, that we often see people in this life, in our age, reap the fruit of their thoughts and actions, both for good and for bad. And so if you're here today and you are a big believer in karma, you're a big believer in what goes around, comes around, I actually don't think you're that far off the truth. I think you're close. Karma is trying to grab at something that is actually there. It's trying to offer an explanation for this truth. It's trying to to sing a song it can vaguely recall. But that's all it can do. That's all it can do. I think if I believed in karma, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. I need the good news 
that in putting my faith in Jesus, I have reaped what I did not sow. I need the good news. That I am not a cog in some impersonal machine called the universe. Destined to atone for my sins once they make their way like a boomerang, right? Back around to me. I I need that good news. I need the good news uh, that the God of the Bible isn't small and needy and petty. That he doesn't work on mutual back-scratching sort of arrangement. He has loved us because he has loved us. I need the good news that all of our labor in this life is not pointless. That there is coming an age when we will be with Jesus in his kingdom, rewarded beyond our wildest expectations. I suspect that we all need that good news this morning. We live in a failure culture, don't we? One misstep. One misstep and the internet eats you alive. Destroys you. What a loser. Why would they say that? I would never do that. Where our mistakes are amplified and our sins are announced to the whole world. How do we escape this? How do we free ourselves from the cold reality of our functional karma? Only in reminding ourselves of this good news. Only in reminding ourselves of the gospel of grace. That Jesus has done something for us that is unmerited. That we did not earn. That we come this morning as people who receive mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Now not only does this good news allow us to get out of bed in the morning. It frees us to sow the spirit in every field or sphere of our lives. The first field is this. Consider with me the field of the church. The field of the church, these followers of Jesus who are filled with the Spirit. We read in Galatians 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, Brett, in his infinite wisdom, made me preach this text. Let me just say plainly what Paul is, is saying here. You should financially reimburse the person who labors in teaching and preaching. That's what Paul's saying here. Elsewhere in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Again, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul will continue to say, listen, we didn't take any money from you, but it would not have been wrong if we were to do so. Taken together, these passages, these passages lead us to conclude that in the field of the church, the teacher is the one who is to faithfully sow the word. Let me pause there for a second. Is to faithfully sow the word. Not his personality, not his clever thoughts and ideas, but who is to faithfully sow the word. And in return, the preacher, the teacher, they are to reap for themselves a a living, a wage. Now here are all the qualifiers I know that you desire. First, have passages like this one been abused by so-called pastors, so-called preachers, 
to fly around the world in lavish jets? Yes, 100%. Is that what Paul's getting at here? Obviously not. This is not a justification for a ministry of, of, of jet traveling. It's not what Paul's talking about here. That's one ditch that we can fall in here. At the same time, have churches, having seen passages like Galatians 6, like 1 Timothy 5, like 1 Corinthians 9, having seen passages like this abused, have, have churches swung too far on the opposite side of the spectrum and adopted a, a poverty mindset? Yeah, absolutely. Rejecting the office of vocational teaching and preaching altogether? Absolutely. And so we need to be careful here because there are two ditches that we can fall into here. Now, I don't want to belabor this point too long because I think you get this, Christ City. Like, we raise funds to plant a church in East Vancouver for the purpose of gospel proclamation, for the purpose of preaching and teaching the word. We raised funds to start a seminary in Vietnam to enable hundreds of proclaimers, indigenous proclaimers, uh, to preach and teach the word. You get this, Christ City. You guys are on board with this. But what I do want to heavily emphasize, uh, as what I think is Paul is really leaning on here, is this idea of the overwhelming importance of biblical and faithful gospel teaching in the church. Indeed, the centrality of faithful biblical teaching in the church. Paul seems to be putting a lot of emphasis on this. Galatians 6, 6 is evidence of Paul in the first century valuing the word of God as of utmost importance in shaping and leading and guiding and encouraging and rebuking and, 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 and just doing everything for the people of God, for the spirit-led community. So that's one way we see sowing and reaping in the field of the church, that as a teacher sows the word, they are to be financially compensated. But we find another example of sowing and reaping in the church in our passage. Look at Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And look at this. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to read that again, that last piece. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think given the familial language that Paul has used so far in Galatians, this phrase, household of faith, shouldn't come as a surprise to us. He's talked about us like we're adopted children of God, right? He, he said that we're brothers and sisters with one another. And now he calls us the household of faith. Uh, in Ephesians, he calls the church there the, the household of God. It's this familial language over and over and over again. And the principle here is, is really simple. It's family first. Family first. As we'll see, doing good will not remain in the family, but doing good begins in the family. Let me say that again. Doing good will not remain in the family. It just has to start with the family. Now, I think a number of things are accomplished when we employ this principle, but I think there's one thing in particular that I want to point out here. This principle of family first ensures us, from, uh, guards us rather, from committing a particularly heinous, particularly evil, particularly nefarious sin. And that sin is this. It's the sin of being a monster in your own home and a saint in the public sphere. Of being a monster in your own home 
with your own people who know you best, who, who see you at four in the morning and being a saint in the public sphere. It's interesting to note that when Paul is outlining qualifications for elders in a church, one of those qualifications is that they manage, love, serve, lead their own household wealth first. It starts there. Now, I I don't want to, again, belabor this, and someone's got to go. But I think there are some of us who right now, in this moment, are, are, are wanting me to skip back to the part of doing good to all people. You're like, yeah, 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 the church. Yeah, 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 I, I, I get the church, but like, do good to all people. And I'll get there, and you're already thinking in your head about, about the marginalized people in your community, and that's good. You're thinking about the marginalized people you run into. You're thinking about all the people who are needy out there, and, and, and that's good. And don't mishear me. But there are so many of us who have thought so much of, of those people in our, in our work, uh, in our school, in those spheres, who have also paid no mind to the person two rows in front of you and two rows behind you, who have a lot of love for out there, but not a lot of love for in here. A lot of patience for out there, not a lot of patience for in here. A lot of grace for out there, because it's evangelism, right? Not a lot of grace for in here. Paul says family first. We are to sow the good seed of service to one another if we want to reap good things in the field of the church. That's the first field. The second field is the field of our personal lives. Verse 8 says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now we've already seen how these phrases reap corruption and reap eternal life have with, have with them implications of eternal destiny. We've already seen how this passage is intended to act as a warning to us that if we persist, if we persist in sowing to the flesh, we will reap destruction forever. But now I want us to consider how do we actually do these things? How do we sow to the spirit? How do we sow to the flesh? In many ways, Paul is just saying what he's already been saying. The Galatians like us are a slow people. You need to be reminded time and time and time again, right? He's just saying the same thing he already said, right? Crucify the flesh and keep in step with the Spirit. Same thing. Sow to the Spirit, don't sow to the flesh. Crucify the flesh, keep in step with the Spirit. We are to allow, indeed we're commanded to allow the Spirit to guide our thoughts and our actions. But this morning, with the addition of this farming metaphor, Paul lets us in on a a very helpful secret. It's a very helpful secret. I'm pausing for suspense. Do you want to know the secret? The secret is this. The more we sow to the Spirit, the more Spirit we reap. The more we sow to the flesh, the more flesh we reap. The more we sow to the Spirit, the more Spirit we reap. The more we sow to the flesh, the more flesh we reap. Some of you today are confused by your current state of being. Uh, You're stale. You're impassionate. uh, You're cold-hearted. You're generally disinterested in life. And further to that, you're, you're, you're ravaged by habitual sins that don't seem to be going anywhere. They seem to stick with you. 
What Paul is saying in our text today is that the fruit of your life today is a result of what you did yesterday. The fruit of your life today is a result of what you did yesterday and the day before that. Uh, the fruit of your life today is, is a result of yesterday when you sowed to the flesh. Began yesterday as you harbored that grudge. Began yesterday and the days before that when you nursed that grievance, when you entertained that fantasy. You are reaping what you have sown. You're reaping what you've sown. Others of you spent yesterday and the days before that sowing to the Spirit. Though your bed cried out for more sleep, cried out for more sleep, you disciplined yourself to get up and meet with God. Though that impure fantasy crept into your mind, instead of indulging it, you took that thought captive and stopped it in its tracks. In the best possible way, you too are reaping what you've sown. You're reaping what you've sown. Now, many people have said this, but I heard it from John Stott, and he said this. Holiness is a harvest. Holiness is a harvest. Holiness doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's a result of day after day after day after day, faithfully and in small ways, sowing to the Spirit. Time after time after time after time. There's an old adage that isn't necessarily Christian, but I think it's entirely true. Maybe you've heard it. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. This is sowing and reaping in our personal lives. Third field. Sowing and reaping in the broader world or the broader community. In verse 10, Paul said this, and we already read this, but let's do it again. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Verse 10 is motivated by verse 9. In view of the rewards we will receive in the new heavens and the new earth. In view of these rewards, let us do good to everyone. As long as we have the opportunity, let us do good to, to everyone. Yes, we start with the household of God, but we do not end with the household of God. We are to do good to all people. And when I say all people, I really mean all people. Let me say it again. When I say all people, I really mean all people. How many of us know the needs of our neighbors? How many of us know the needs of our broader community? How many of us are actively involved in trying to meet those needs with the resources we've been given? Now, if I can speak very generally for a second, very broadly for a second, in the North American church, we tend to segregate ourselves uh, with two different tribes, two different groups. There are those who believe true things over here and those who do true things. Those who believe true things, those who do true things, those who teach the Bible, teach the word, but it never gets beyond an intellectual exercise. So we look down at uh, what we call liberal churches, other communities who don't have our theology, don't have our teaching. All the while we sit on our hands and we do nothing. And you have over here, those who do true things. Churches who minimize the word, minimize theology, minimize the gospel, and concern themselves only with doing. And let's be very honest for a second. How are they any different than a secular nonprofit? 
But friends, we must be both. Galatians 1 to 4 is all about who we are in Christ. It's all about the gospel. It's all about good teaching. It's all about good foundation. And Galatians 5 and 6 is all about responding to this good teaching. We must keep Galatians 1 through 6 together. It is one book. It is one letter. It's not two separate ones. We must keep them together. We must be Galatians 1 through 6 people. Otherwise, we are merely those who believe true things and do nothing, or those who do true things and believe nothing. Because of the good that Jesus has done for you in becoming a curse for you, we are to do good for all people. In view of the rewards that are to come in the new heavens and the new earth, we are to do good to all people. And Paul says we are to do this as we have opportunity. And if you're looking for an out this morning and you're thinking, ah, this is my out. Don't have the opportunity. I've been waiting for waiting for that opportunity. Are you misunderstood? This whole passage is framed in view of this age and the age to come. So as we have opportunity is as we live in this life. When should you do good? As long as you have a pulse. As long as you're not dead, you should do good. As long as Jesus hasn't returned to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, you should do good. So that's all of us. That's all of us right now. When should we do good? As long as we have a pulse, as long as Jesus hasn't returned. Because ultimately, God cannot be mocked. I think some of us proceed and live our lives as if we can fool God. You might be able to fool others. You might even be able to fool yourself. But God cannot be mocked. He cannot be fooled. The truth will come out. Though you might be able to pull over the wool, pull the wool over the eyes of other people. It is not so with God. Motivated by the life to come, how are you faithfully sowing seeds of service in the church? How are you loving the family of God? How are you loving the household of faith? Motivated by the life to come, how are you sowing to the spirit or how are you sowing to the flesh in your own life? Motivated by the life to come, how are you sowing good, good deeds to all people? All people. Would you stand with me as we respond this morning? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.